I, uh, I love Sundays. Do you love Sundays? I, I, this is so much fun to be here, to be together. Yeah, you can clap, cheer, shout, whatever you need to do. Um, we're, we're, we're like family, and I actually like most of you. This is just great. I like all of you. But this, this is what we get to do. This is fun. All right. Um, how many of you can tell me who the governor of New Jersey is? His name is Chris Christie. All right. He's running for? He's not going to make it. But anyway, he's done a good job. He's, he, this past week, Chris Christie had a speech that while he was campaigning that went viral, six million hits in less than about an hour. It's amazing. And what Chris Christie did was he was talking about how he is pro-life. And he talks about how he's pro-life, though, for all of life. I never heard anybody say it quite like that before. He said, I'm not just pro-life for the nine months in the womb. He said, I'm pro-life for the whole life. And he talked about a friend of his who really had a great struggle. They went to law school. They were roommates together. Um, This guy was handsome and prestigious and married a beautiful girl, had three wonderful daughters, made a ton of money, and he got hurt. And he got hooked. He got hurt, and he got hooked on prescription meds. And he had the next 10 years of just absolutely brutal 10 years, in and out of rehab over 17 times, and it, did, it didn't end well. Lost his wife, lost his three kids, lost all his money. And then the guy died of an overdose. And Chris Christie was at the funeral. And he was talking about how, you know, that event took place. And he said, we should be pro-life to help people for their, their whole life. Now, I, I call that event a sinking event. Somebody was sinking Sometimes you cause the sinking event. Sometimes the sinking event comes unto you. But here's a situation where, where the guy got hurt and the guy got hooked and then his whole family just imploded. And all of a sudden, everybody around him is sinking. Well, in just a few minutes, we're going to talk today about a man who was literally sinking in his life. But I think that's so appropriate for all of us. Because every one of us in this room, we have had sinking events. Sometimes we caused them. Sometimes we didn't cause them. Sometimes we were just innocent victims or bystanders. But things happen in life. You could be a student, and you could be sinking academically. You didn't pass the chemistry test. You didn't pass the biology test. You could be sinking as a young adult. The interview didn't go well. You can be sinking health-wise, right? There's all kinds of things that can happen to us from a health standpoint. You can be sinking from a vocational standpoint. You got a demotion. You got fired. um, You can't get a job. And so everybody in the room understands sinking. And so we've got a man today who is sinking, and that's going to be our story in just a minute. Brad and Heidi Mitchell. Brad, uh, this story is written in Lee Strobel's, one of Lee Strobel's brand new books. It's a story about Brad and and Heidi were high school sweethearts. They then go off to graduate school. He becomes a pastor of several small churches in the Michigan area. Then they go to uh, South Carolina, a little little bit larger church. And while he's at this new church in South Carolina, a woman from Michigan begins to email him back and forth asking for his help, asking him to, to minister to, her, to, uh, to him and to her rather, and they begin a sexual affair. 
And so here's this pastor of this medium-sized church, and all of a sudden his entire family is about to blow up. And so the man has to go and tell his wife, I've been unfaithful to you. She vomits and is sick for several weeks with all this. He has to tell their children, both sets of parents, tells the entire church, and it's just a train wreck. And here was Heidi. And Heidi said, the lowest point of this entire process is we're at the doctor's office. Because I asked the counselor, should I go get a sexually transmitted disease test? And the counselor said, absolutely. And she said, there we are. There we are in the doctor's office in a town where everybody knows us. And we're getting a test for a sexually transmitted disease. And I thought to myself, I am so angry with you. I met, when I married you, I was a virgin. And here I am getting an STD disease test. And she said, that was definitely the lowest moment of my life. Now, miraculously, this couple's still married. I don't know how, but miraculously, they're still married. But that's not the point this morning. You see, I hope you don't get hooked, and I hope you don't get hurt, and I hope you don't sabotage your family, and I hope your family doesn't sabotage you. But, but we can't control all that because we all understand sinking. Every one of us has sunk at some point. Some of you right now in this room, you're sinking, and none of us in the room even know it. You feel so discouraged, so depressed, and you're filled with so much anxiety, and you're wanting to know two things. There's two questions that are on your mind today, and these are two questions before all of us. Number one, is there anything I can do? I am sinking, but is there anything I can do? And number two, is there anybody who's big enough to help me? I'm going to sink, but help me not to drown. And so we're going to look at a story today where a man is literally sinking in his life. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 14. Here's our story today. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It's a familiar story. You know the story well. This immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and to go on the, ahead of him to the other side. Now, why is he doing this? Because just before this story, Jesus has fed 5,000 men, 5,000 women, and 2.2 children, okay? So there's over 20-some 20 20 thousand people that Jesus has just fed, and we learn from the Gospel of John that the crowds wanted to rush him and make him king. And so he's going, my time has not yet come. So Jesus makes the disciples, they get into a boat, they go on ahead of him the other side, and he dismisses the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Now that's a sermon all in itself, but that's another day. I want you to notice that after a great big event, a great big victory in his life, instead of staying around and high-fiving each other and bowing his chest out, Jesus gets alone. That's a sermon all in itself for another day. Here's my question for you, though, as we get started. Do you have any alone time with God? Some people are so afraid of God that they never want to be alone with God. They're so afraid to get alone. He goes up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And he prays just about all night long. Again, I just, I just want to encourage you. Do you have an alone place? Do you have an alone time in your life? Some people are scared to death to be alone with God. Well, I would be too if I wasn't a Christian. That we're covered by the blood of Christ and we can enter into his throne room with confidence to find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. So anyway, he's there alone. Look at the next verse. 
And the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Again, the Gospel of John gives us details. The Gospel of John teaches us they're about three or, they've rowed about three or four miles. So there's a storm. They're about three or four miles into this uh, Sea of Galilee. The wind was against it. Look at the next verse. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. These disciples are in this boat. They're rowing all night long. The wind is against them. Jesus is asking them to go to the other side. And now here comes Jesus walking on the water. Wouldn't that be cool to see? Huh? That would be so awesome to have a videotape of that, wouldn't it? All right. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Okay? But immediately Jesus said to them, Guys, it's me. Take courage. It, it, it is I. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. Now, again, nobody else asked this, did they? Everybody else stayed in the boat, didn't they? Right? I mean, we kind of make fun of Peter because he took his eyes off Jesus, but we don't read about any other guy's names in this story, do we? So here's, G- here's Peter. Peter said, Lord, if it's you. Now, you've got to love Peter, okay? He doesn't always have filters. He doesn't always know the right thing to say or do. But in this time, you've just got to admire his courage. Lord, if it's you, he said, tell me to come. Tell me to come to you on the water. Now, nobody's ever done this before. Nobody's ever walked on water before. Peter has some incredible faith right now because he's got his eyes laser-locked right on Jesus, Okay? And Jesus said, I think Jesus is like, wow, this is really cool. This is going to be fun. Well, come on, Peter. I mean, Jesus is soaking wet. They're all soaking wet. There's wind. There's waves. There's going on. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat. All right, they're already in a storm. It's not safe to begin with. It's a little bit safer in the boat. And now Peter just goes to where it is totally unsafe. Or is it? So he gets out of the boat. He walked on the water. And he came toward Jesus. Now that's one of my bucket list goals. It probably won't happen on earth. Okay? But that's something that I want to be able to do in heaven. So maybe we can all do this together sometime. Wouldn't that be fun to walk on water together? At least unless you're afraid of water. All right. The next, you won't be afraid of water in heaven. All right. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Look at the next verse. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. He caught him. You have little faith. Now, I don't think this is Jesus putting him down. I mean, they're both soaking wet. They're both trying to get back into the boat. I think Jesus is just going, dude, I had you. I had you. What were you worried about? You have little faith. He said, why did you doubt? Look at the next verse. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Now, it's been blowing all night long. You ever been on a boat for five or six hours at night, and it's blowing? It's a lot of fun. It really is, if you like all that. But now, the wind dies down. Then those who were in the boat, they worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. They knew they were in the presence of God himself the presence of the Almighty God. Now, friends, as much as you try, as much as I try, we cannot avoid the winds of life. No matter how hard we work at this, 
We cannot avoid the winds of, of some relationships that just implode. Sometimes you've caused them. You lied. You betrayed. You did something inappropriate. Or somebody lied, betrayed, did something inappropriate to you. No matter how hard you try, we will not avoid all the winds of relationships, right? And no, no matter how hard you try, you will not avoid the winds of some health issues, um, we're all really terminally ill if you think about it, right? I mean, so far the death rate's hovering about 100%, right? One out of one still die, right? So, so we're all in the room terminal if you really think about it, right? If, if you work for 40 or 50 years, you are going to have some ups and downs, some bumps and bruises in the workforce. You're going to have it. Nobody's going to avoid some disasters when it comes to work or to economics or to health or to relationships. But here's what happens. So when those things occur and those winds and the waves begin to overwhelm us, we become filled with fear. We feel alone and we feel the fear, and when we feel alone, and when we're afraid, we make some really bad decisions. The, the worst decisions of your life have been made when you were afraid. The worst decisions of your life were made when you felt all alone. You, you, you go through a divorce, or you lose a loved one. This is what I tell you. I tell you, if you, if you go through a divorce, I tell you, just mark out 365 days from that point that you got a divorce and don't just mark it on the calendar. So if you got divorced on January 10th of 2015, I would say to you, go to a calendar, put 2016, January 10th, put a big X on that. And between this X and this X, don't date, don't go out, don't think about it, don't sniff, don't do anything at all for 365 days. I'd really tell you two years, but you won't listen to me, okay? It's true. Nobody will listen to that. But why? Because when you're afraid and when you're alone, you make some really bad decisions. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 is interesting. It says, when he saw the wind. Now, can you see the wind? You can't see the wind. Nobody's seen the wind. You can hear the wind. You can feel the wind. But when you're afraid, you begin to see things that aren't there. And all of us have been through that. But none of us in the room can see the wind. We can feel it. And we can experience it. Well, if you're a note taker, I've got some notes for you to fill in, some blanks for you to fill in, in, in your bulletin. And let's see what Jesus does. And let's see what Peter does. First of all, let's start with Peter. What does Peter do? Well, first of all, Peter, he cries out. Now, he took his eyes off of Jesus. That's the point. But he is sinking. And at this moment, he is going to sink. And he realizes that he's only got one person that he can cry out to who's going to help him. So Peter does three things really well and right. The first one is he cries out. Number two, <clears throat> he cries out to the Savior of the world. Now, you can cry out to Dr. Phil. And you can cry out to Dr. Ruth. And you can cry out to Oprah. And you can go to the library and cry out to the self-help books, right? You can cry out to all kinds of people. There's a lot of people you can cry out to. But there's only one person who's the Savior of the world. And I love this about Peter. Say what you want about Peter. But Peter knew who to cry out to. And then number three, it was very specific. Very specific. Peter says, Lord, save me. 
I need you to save me. There's only one person who can save me, and that's you. And I need you, Lord, to save me. So what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus does three things. Jesus reaches out. Uh, He doesn't say, now, Peter, we've talked about this before. Come on now. I'm going to make you tread water. I hope you don't drown. Um, How long can you hold your breath? Um, I think we really think that God does that to us. I I almost feel like we think that, okay, you know, we've royally messed up, and so now we confess our sins or we say, Lord, help us, and we almost think that God is, like, distant, you know, because, like, like, we're, we're kind of that way, right? I mean, we have relationships, and they don't go well, so we kind of give each other the silent treatment. You don't do that? This is the most godliest church in the the United States of America. These are saints. We could just close up right now, close shop. God God doesn't give you the silent treatment. God God doesn't hold out for that. Look what he does. Jesus, he reaches out, number two. He catches him. He's not going to let him sink any further. I got you, Peter. I got you. And then number three, he puts him in the safe zone. Now let's talk about number three for just a minute. Because most of us in this room think the safe zone is in the boat. Is it? Is the safe zone in the boat? Or is the safe zone in the water? Well, the safe zone is neither, and the safe zone is both. The safe zone is where Jesus is. You can be in the water and be perfectly safe if your eyes are fixed on Jesus. You can be in the boat and be perfectly safe if your eyes are fixed on Jesus. Or you can be in the boat and be completely distracted and you're not safe right? The safe zone is always where Jesus Christ is. And so here's my encouragement to you. Sometimes you work so hard to stay in the safe zone. Well, that's good. But what you think is the safe zone and what God thinks is the safe zone could be two different planes, two different icebergs. The safe zone is when you keep your eyes in Jesus and on Jesus and focused on Jesus, doing exactly what Jesus has called you to do. It might be in the water. It might be in the boat. Now think about this. Jesus is not just a life preserver. I've got about 13 life jackets on my boat. Probably 13. I think we have 13 on the boat. Now if I'm out fishing 20 miles and something happens and the boat goes down, I want a life jacket, right? I want a life preserver. So at least that's going to keep me in the water. It's going to keep me floating, right? But there are big things in that water with big teeth that like to eat big people like me. And so I don't want to be in the water too long. What do I want? I want the Coast Guard, baby. I don't want just a life jacket. I want the Coast Guard to come rescue me. Jesus is not your life preserver. He's the Coast Guard. And he reaches down, grabs you, snatches you, and restores you to where he wants you to be. Some of you need to get out of the boat. Some of you want to live in the boat. You want to hunker down and get everything safe and make everything right. Well, that might be where you're supposed to be for a season. It might be. But Jesus is calling you to keep your eyes fixed and focused on him. You might be in the boat. You might be in the water. So I don't know what that looks like for you. But I guarantee you, you know. And every time faith and fear collide, you're either going to grab a hold of fear or you're going to grab a hold of faith. Now here's what I know. 
I know when you grab a hold of fear, you stay where you think it's safe, but that's not the best place that God wants you to be. But every time you grab a hold of faith, it might be in the boat, it might be in the water, it doesn't really matter, you're with Jesus. The safe zone is always, always where Jesus is. So in your life, you're not to be reckless, you're not to be carefree, but you are to be filled with faith, 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 faith. So I want to tell you a a story about a guy named Arnie. And um, Arnie comes to Memphis at age 40. He's a Jewish man from the Bronx of New York. And he comes to Memphis kind of broken, divorced, and some illegal substances in his life that he trafficked. That's all I'm going to say about that. And so about 10 or 11 years go by, and um, I am now a young pastor. I'm, I'm still young, thank you very much, but I was much younger uh, then. And it was about 20 years ago, and I think I was like 33 or 34. I think I was like 32, actually, 32, 33. And downtown Memphis, there was this um, large um, funeral home and cemetery area, and they always put on an Easter, an Easter sunrise service, right? seven o'clock in the morning, Easter sunrise service. And it was a huge event. Usually 2,000 people, 2,200 people or something would come. And so I got an invitation to go do that Easter sunrise service. I'm 32 years old, 33 years old. And um, I'm thinking, well, we, I can't do that. I don't think because we at our church have a sunrise service. So I take that to the elders and I go to the elders meeting and I said, guys, I was asked to, you know, do this downtown. What do you think? I mean, it's probably not a good idea because, you know, we have a sunrise service. And the elders just jumped on it. They said, are you kidding? That's a great idea. You can go downtown. You can share Jesus. There's all these other people that don't go to any other service all year long. You can share Christ. I mean, help the youth pastor. It's the same story every year. Surely you can help the youth pastor, you know, with the whole resurrection thing. So, so it was like, it's a great idea. I thought it was great vision on on our elders' parts in, in Memphis. And so I go downtown on Easter Sunday morning, and it's this great big stage and platform, and it was a beautiful morning. And I'm not kidding you, there are like 3,000. I've never seen so many people in my life, 3,000 people there for that. And I know this will really shock everybody in the room, but back then I preached from a manuscript. I used notes, lots of notes, pages. And so I, I just get started in this sermon, and all of a sudden, I got all my notes there. It's like a 20-minute thing, and I'm like into five or six minutes, and all of a sudden, the wind just kicks up. <laughs> and my notes just blow right off that stage, and I think they went into some open grave or hell or Hades. Or I, I, don't, I, don't, we never, I never found my notes, never found my notes. So they're gone, and I'm like, oh, God, okay, it's the same story every year. <laughs> he rose from the dead. I, I, can, I heard that elder, I can do this, I can do this. And so I finished that, and then I go back to to our church in in Memphis, and I didn't think anybody would actually go to the service and come to our church, so I preached the same sermon. I mean, the exact same sermon, exact sermon. I didn't think it'd be, I mean, I only got one good sermon anyway on Easter, so I'm 32 or 33 years old. So um, Arnie, Arnie Wexler, Jewish man, Bronx, New York, now a businessman, owns a company called Wheelchair Express, 
You know, fast forward about 12 years from when he was 40, he's like 52, 53. And so Arnie and Joyce came to our Sunday morning service at, at the church on Easter. And he left a little card, and he said, I'd like to meet with you. And, of course, back then we only had like one or two visitors a week, so it wasn't real hard to get back with everybody. And so I called him back, and we had lunch at a place called Piccadilly's. You ever heard of a restaurant called Piccadilly's? Yeah, okay. So we meet at Piccadilly's, and we're there. And he said, um, he said you know, I've never been to like a Christian service. I've been, I was raised in the synagogue, never been to a Christian service. And he said, um, so, you know, you preach, you know, that message, you know, at 7 o'clock, and you preach that same message, you know, at 10 o'clock. And he said, so I guess you only have one sermon. <laughs> I said, well, actually, I got a few more, but that's kind of what we do on, on Easter. The next 50 Sundays, Joyce and Arnie are at our church every single Sunday. And, and almost to the date, a year later, we baptized, they came forward, they walked the aisle, gave their lives to Jesus Christ, and we baptized both of them into, into Christ. And it, it was amazing. It was an amazing story. So I, I tell you that story because about 21 years have gone by. And now Arnie in his mid to late 70s is still on fire for Christ. This Bronx Jewish young man, man, all of a sudden, he starts teaching Sunday school to children. He knew he didn't know the New Testament story. He knew the Old Testament. He knew Hebrew. But he starts teaching children. And for about three years, he taught kids. Then he starts teaching middle schoolers. Then he starts teaching high schoolers. And for about seven or eight years, Arnold Wexler taught children and youth because they needed to be taught, but he also needed to learn the Bible. And it was an amazing story. And so, so all those years... Arnie continued to get out of the boat. Every time there was a building project, every time there was something we're getting ready to do, Arnie and Joyce were on the front lines and they were there. I'll tell you that story. Because no matter how old you get, you've got to have faith. No matter how old you are, you've got to get out of the boat because God has called you. He's called me. And what happens is, is when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, that's when the impossible becomes possible. When you and I keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, that's when the impossible becomes possible. Now, I don't know what it is he's calling you to do, but I do know he's calling you to get out of the boat. This, this Wednesday is Veterans Day. What a great day to honor our veterans. Maybe you're at breakfast, maybe you're at lunch, and you know somebody's a veteran. For goodness sakes, buy their breakfast, buy their lunch. Maybe God's calling you to, to, to take care of a police officer. I've been actually looking for police officers at Starbucks and trying to treat them. I, get out of the boat. Get out of your comfort zone. Do you have some family and some friends that need to kind of hear about the gospel? Tell them, about, tell them what you believe. Maybe God wants you to coach Little League soccer in your community and be a light in your, in your community. I don't know what it's calling you to do. But I do know this. He's calling you and he's calling me to be on fire for Christ. And the older we get, the more on fire we should be. Now, we won't be on fire the older we get if we keep our eyes focused on ourselves. We keep our eyes focused on our security. We keep our eyes focused on what's in our best interest. But God will always bless you and he will always bless me when we learn to keep our eyes fixed on him. Now, I want to walk on water on this earth. I'm going to walk on water literally with Jesus someday. 
But don't you and I want to do great things for God today while we can, while there's opportunities? And that's what he's calling us to do. So the challenge is faith and fear. You're going to grab a hold of one of those two every single day. But here's the good news. The more you grab the handle of faith, that handle of fear gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And all of a sudden, your faith just keeps getting larger and larger and stronger and stronger. And you're able to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to close the service a little differently this morning. I'm not going to have our prayer partners come down front. I'm going to have us today have a collective prayer time together. And I want to pray for your faith. I want to pray for where you're sinking. I want to pray that you will call out, reach out, save me, Lord, save me now. So I want to pray for all of us in the room. So if you would, why don't you stand up with me? And, and, and again, it, it starts with giving your life to Jesus Christ. And there are some of you in the room that it's time for you to cross over and give your life to Christ. So I'm going I'm to pray that prayer. That's how I'm going to start today. So if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, that's where we start today. Then I want to pray for your fears. I want to pray for where you're sinking. I want to pray for your faith. So let's pray together. Father God, first of all, we come and we pray for those today who are, who are just ready to give their lives to you, just ready to accept you as Lord and Savior. So for every man, for every woman in this room right now, receive them as they, as they confess you as Lord and Savior. Receive them into your eternal kingdom. And Father God, I pray for those in the room that are sinking today. We've all been sunk before, and we'll all be sinking again because of something that's happened. But I want to pray specifically for those that are really hurting today with health and with marriage and just vocationally, maybe even spiritually, God, maybe a really bad church experience. I want to pray that, that we, we give those to you, we call out to you, save us, save us now, and we ask you to help us. I want to pray that you increase our faith, God. But more importantly, that our eyes will always be fixed on you. That whether we're in the boat or whether we're in the water, we will keep our eyes fixed on you. God, you've given us a little bit of time, a little bit of money, a little bit of opportunity to leverage all that we are for you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We worship you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.